Is the Overstock.com stock worth the investment? After all the changes the company has been going through in the past two years with this management and technology and the shift of focus, where is Overstock.com going to be in five to 10 years? Would a value investor find any value in the stock? Today, we have Alexis Callahan, the Director of Investor Relations at Overstock.com, and she's going to walk us through all the changes that Overstock.com has been making in the past two years, and a little bit about the vision, as well as their views on the blockchain technology. We are, as I would define it, as a leading online home furnishings retailer. The rationale really was to enable all parties to do what they do best, right? And so we are actively looking to bring aboard high-quality institutions that are going to buy and hold for the long run. My name is Kiana Danielle. I'm a best-selling author of Cryptocurrency Investing for Dummies, among three other books. And I'm also the founder of the Investiva movement, where we are aiming to help one million moms take control of their financial future by the year 2025. Now let's go say hi to Alexis from Overstock.com. Thank you so much for accepting to meet with us today. Happy to. It's an honor. This is, yeah, this is amazing. So I got a bunch of questions from you guys, which is basically what I was going to ask anyway. So that's going to be the interview. (laughs) Well, that works out well. (laughs) I took a stab. I just figured, you know, that's a lot of what I hear daily. So I didn't know if it would be a fit or not, but I'm glad to hear it is. You read my mind. I'm like, oh, okay. Yep. 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 Right. So yes, the reason why we actually wanted to have this interview was because I invested in Overstock early on and I actually sat through the crash, you know, the bubble at the beginning and then it went up and then it went down and I bought more because um, I actually was following what Overstock was doing. I really liked the previous CEO and I liked the fact that Overstock was one of the first companies to actually accept cryptocurrency if i'm not wrong am i right about that by the way that was kind of it was the first domestic retailer yes you're right so that to me as the author of cryptocurrency investing for demos i'm like okay i want to get exposure kind of indirect exposure to cryptocurrency through a stock and overstock Mm -hmm. and then so overstock was able to kind of survive all the blows and it's now kind of back to a range in terms of stock price it hit a high at 128 and now and then went back down again so it's a little bit volatile but it's now within the range that is manageable mm-hmm. and my students were asking me okay kiana like what do you think should we get back in overstock and i was like okay we need to redo our fundamental analysis and i think it's going to be much better if we hear from overstock dot com itself and are you guys excited they're like yes so we had our team reach out to you so that is basically the backstory about what happened and that's okay. why we're super excited to have you here alexis yeah i'm super excited to be here and i think your timing is really really good oh my gosh why okay do yeah. tell <laughs> so yeah. for those well i, I do here. i do just at a high level kian i do feel like so I came on board in January of 2020, happy to kind of share that during the actual interview component. But 
you know, I feel like the company is at an inflection point and there's been a lot of skepticism. And, you know, one of the questions that I kind of tossed in here was, what do I feel is still misunderstood about the company? What is Wall Street not appreciating, underappreciating, right? And I think that what's being missed at a high level is the fact that we've made all this operational change. It's not just COVID luck. So I think there are some skeptics out there that are you know, expecting performance to revert back to the way it was pre-COVID once the economy fully reopens. And I mean, that's a fine assumption if that's what you want to believe. But I'm, you know, I'm going to walk you through kind of all the operational changes we have but have made. I think COVID masked a lot of that change. So why do I say now is an inflection point? It's largely because Q2, which we'll report in about a month, is our biggest, toughest comp. So I think there's going to be a lot of attention being paid by investors on Q2. And if we can perform to some degree, and we made commentary in our Q1 call about what that might look like. I think that's really going to get a lot of investors kind of over the hump, right? To become believers. So it's, there's kind of this window and I could be totally wrong, but I do think that that's going to be an important data point for the investment community. Right. That is actually really good to hear. And so just a little bit about our investment method, we're actually valuing investors. So we want to get involved with companies that have long-term potential. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm super excited to ask you about all of these changes. So what are the changes that you believe is going to enable Overstock to compete with Amazon and Wayfair and all these other competition? I mean, clearly everything is going online. Actually, you know what? Let's get to the basics. What is really Overstock.com? It's a great question. So, you know, Overstock today is not the same company it was 20 years ago. You're aware of that. It's not even the same company it was two years ago. So it was founded in the late 90s, just for some history, um, as an online liquidator, hence the name. It went public in 2002, and it became essentially a general merchandiser in the early 2000s when Amazon also kind of came onto the scene. We've increasingly moved into the furniture and home furnishing space over the years. That's become a real core competency in the category. Along the way, we also formed, as you're aware, uh, a subsidiary called Medici Ventures, Right, which invested in a number of early stage blockchain businesses. But significant change occurred at the company in the wake of our founder's departure in the fall of 2019. And I'm bringing that up because it was a pivotal moment for the company. And it really was an opportunity for us to kind of step back, really assess the company, what our strengths were, where was the competitive landscape from an operating perspective and to get really definitive and intentional with where we wanted to take the company. So, you know, I think it's important to note that in addition to to deciding to refocus on the e-commerce business, something we hadn't done in a very long time, it was also getting intentional about where we wanted to play within the e-commerce landscape. You just mentioned Amazon and others. So where are they at within kind of the competitive landscape and, and where is a good fit for overstock? So today, you know, I think there are three main ways in which we're differentiated. The first is that we're focused exclusively on home furnishings. So unlike we've been in the past, we're not trying to be a general merchandiser and sell everything under the sun. We're getting really, really focused and we think we have core competency there. Um, second, we're aiming to deliver smart value. So great products at great prices, not luxury items kind of on the high end, not trying to be an everyday low price leader, but somewhere in the middle where we feel like sizable demand exists. 
Um, and then third, you know, in the scheme of not trying to be all things to all people, we are targeting the customers who naturally have a higher propensity to shop with overstock. So these customers, and it's roughly 40% of the consumer base domestically has, you know, what I would consider to be value conscious shoppers who are seeking a deal. They're looking for an easy, hassle-free experience. So that's not everybody, but it's definitely a pretty big TAM or total addressable market that we're trying to go after. We feel like there's a lot of white space there. So fast forward to today, we are, as I would define it, as a leading online home furnishings retailer. We're actually top four in the country now. We just moved up from the number five spot this past year. We overtook Target. And we're, you know, our mission is to deliver sustainable, profitable market share growth. So we can walk through each of those words if you're interested. But that's who we are today and what we're really focused on. So as an investor, I kind of like what I heard because... So as an investor and an entrepreneur, I understand the value of focusing and not being all over the place. I understand the value of knowing your customer, which it seems like you do. Like my question would be, how are you exactly targeting those kind of people? Because I know targeting can be easy and hard at the same time. Are you targeting through Facebook? Are you like, how do you know where your target audience is? Because you don't actually have physical stores, right? Everything is online, right? Right. It's all of those channels you just mentioned. And there's been a new theme of focus at Overstock, which is important. And, you know, that might seem like table stakes for any other company, kind of blocking and tackling like the basics, right? But it's new for Overstock. Just to give you perspective, when Jonathan Johnson, our current CEO, was appointed in the fall of 2019, the e-commerce business had 27, quote, key initiatives. That's like having no priorities, right? So, you know, we were highly innovative. We were pursuing a lot of different things, but we weren't executing to completion. So we whittled that list down to four that we focused on in 2020. We chose another four for 2021, and, and we can talk about those. But one of the 2020 initiatives was upgrading our tech stack. So that's a big deal because it enabled better real-time information on our customers, their behavior on site, what they were clicking on, what they were responding to. It also improved kind of our backend and our CRM functionality. So it helped from a machine learning perspective and a targeting perspective. So there's a variety of ways that we find our customers. I think that, you know, we've made improvements over the past year, but we have a long way to go. If you're not already aware, in March of this year, we actually hired a new chief marketing officer. We brought her on from Amazon, which is a big deal. I mean, the fact that Overstock can attract this level of talent is remarkable. That's not something we probably could have done two years ago. And, you know, she is really going to be looking at channel optimization, which is what you're asking, right? How do we find the right customers and just at a high level, you know, getting more direct traffic. So less reliance on things like paid search or email or some of those types of, of methods. So it seems there are a lot of changes. So in the management, in the focus, in the priority, uh, is there any, like, and, and you said the more is a CMO is a she, so it looks like it's kind of a diverse, is that kind of a priority? So you talked about the first priority, which was the technicalities, which I think is super important. You also threw in the word of machine learning. Is that something that you are actively pursuing? 
It is. It is. Yes. That's always been a focus at Overstock. I think we pride ourselves on utilizing technology well and our machine learning models get better and better by the day. So that helps us do things like recommend products more efficiently or more appropriately based on somebody's clicking history as one example. So yes, technology is a focus. I would say also that using data is increasingly important to us. And our new chief marketing officer, by the way, has is, is an engineer by trade. So she kind of brings, you know, an, an interesting mix of kind of having that left and right brain mix. And so she looks at things through a data lens and makes decisions based on that. So she's extraordinary. She's already adding value. And we're super excited to have her on board. So what is the vision for her stock? Uh, five years, 10 years, because again, from an investor point of view, fortunately or unfortunately, we always want to see growth and scale. Like if the company is doing well, that is great for the company, but it may not be great for the long-term value investor. Uh So do you have, does the company as a whole have a five to 10 year vision and where would it be 10 years from now? We, we don't disclose it. There's absolutely a vision. Yes, Overstock doesn't provide guidance. We think that's in our best interest um, for a variety of reasons. Guidance is often requested, right, by investors, by analysts who follow us. It makes their lives easier in many ways. It also, though, often um, prompts companies to sometimes take shortcuts to achieve short-term financial metrics, really, and not focus as much on the long-term. That's what we're super focused on, right, is sustainable, profitable market share growth. So we want to be big in the category. We really, really want to be big. We are now turning, finally, our attention back to this, to our e-commerce business. We think it has real potential. Our goal is to take market share. That means we've got to be growing faster than the market. The market defined as the online portion of the home furnishing space domestically. So it's to get bigger and bigger. I just mentioned that we overtook Target this last year in the rankings. The goal is to keep climbing that ladder. And you know, at this at the moment, I think we're very, very focused on growing organically. We think that there are a lot of levers we can continue to pull. You know, think of it as low-hanging fruit, basic blocking and tackling efforts that we think can continue to propel us forward. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to eventually grow inorganically, meaning make acquisitions along the way, if and when it makes sense. Perhaps maybe we enter into one or more strategic partnerships. Don't know what that looks like. I don't think anything's quite off the table. 10 years out is a very long time, but we want to be big, big players in this space. And we think over time, our investor base and certainly our evaluation will reflect that trajectory. Thank you for sharing that. Now, since I got into Overstock because of the blockchain portion of the business, can you disclose about that? Are you still focusing on that or that is not in the top four priority anymore? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I would say that, you know, we've probably never been as bullish on blockchain technology as we are today, but we've made a couple of changes that are absolutely noteworthy. So in January of this year, we announced a strategic partnership with a venture capital firm to manage this portfolio of assets. 
we just recognized essentially that the portfolio and many of these companies had just gotten to a stage where they required more time, more attention, and just a team of seasoned professionals that do this all day, every day, and take disruptive tech companies to the next level. So, so this transaction closed in April. We essentially outsourced the management of the entire portfolio to this venture capital firm. The rationale really was to enable all parties to do what they do best. It allows Pelion Venture Partners to do what it does best, take disruptive tech companies in particular to that next level and maximize value. It gives the portfolio companies themselves the best chance of success and successful economic outcomes. And it allows Overstock to focus on its e-commerce business, right? So I think those are all very important considerations and, and that was the rationale. From an investor perspective, it's also really, really helpful in two different ways. First, it limits our liability. We've contributed $45 million in capital to this fund and that's it. We have the option to contribute more, but that's at our option. So that's a significant reduction in cash burn. If you look at our historical financials, you know, in any given year, we probably spent more than that <laughs> supporting these different companies. And it allowed us to deconsolidate these businesses from Overstock's financial results. So if you look at our EBITDA, these companies were generating losses and in some situations, substantial losses on paper, right? And those were being captured in Overstock's financial results. So it was a drag to EBITDA, essentially. And now that's no longer the case. So from a valuation perspective, it should be very, very positive to investors. But I would just, you know, round out the conversation by saying again, you know, we've never been more bullish on blockchain technology. We just feel like the companies are in better hands now. That is very good to know. And do you still accept the payment via crypto? We do. You do. We do. Right. So that has Absolutely. not changed. Okay. <laughs> so is there any final things you would tell a newbie investor who's looking into overstock.com as a long-term investment? It's Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a great question. You know, just fundamentally, when I think about investing, I think about looking for sustainable companies in enduring industries, which I think Overstock qualifies as, right? So if you think about let's go in reverse, the industry in which we operate, home furnishings. Well, are we gonna need things for our homes five years from now? Probably, right? Are we going to be buying them? You know, I, I, we don't think it's a question of whether consumers are gonna to continue to buy home furnishings. It's a question of where, online or in-store. So I think, you know, your home's probably never done. We think demand will persist. And then look at the companies that are, sustainable in their operations. So, you know, what are we doing? What are the low hanging fruit and levers that we can pull to continue to grow and be relevant in this market? I also think, you know, as IR is a new role in the company, there's a massive opportunity to tell our story. I think, you know, we largely remain misunderstood, underappreciated. And as we continue to tell our story and execute and produce consistent financial results, I think that will become appreciated, as will brand association with the name. I mean, you don't necessarily think about home furnishings when you think about the name Overstock. So I think, 
you know, will we remain relevant? We absolutely think so. Will demand persist in this space? We absolutely think so. And, you know, relative to our peers, we remain significantly undervalued. So I think there's just a lot of runway ahead of us and we've never been more bullish or confident about the business trajectory going forward. Thank you for sharing that. And what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about Overstock? I think, you know, our history absolutely gets factored in to perception, right? I'm still amazed that here we are close to two years post-management change. People are not aware that there's a completely new C-suite, that all of these various things have happened at the company, that we truly are a new Overstock. I think that's really, really being missed. You know, and as I mentioned from the outset, that COVID largely masked the timing of these operational changes. You know, they began, we began affecting change six, seven months before COVID hit. And had we not, I think COVID would have been a sidewind that knocked us over. Instead, it was a tailwind that kind of was a shot in the arm and propelled us forward. So I think there's some perception that we got lucky and that performance will revert back to, you know, historical level the minute the, full, the economy fully reopens and, and people you know, don't have to use overstock. That's one perception. I also think that you know, the story hasn't been told. It hasn't been widely understood. Our investor base actually reflects that. We skew heavily, heavily retail and the, the institutions, and this is changing by the way, but the institutions that we had on board, certainly when I came to the company were kind of fast money. They weren't kind of buy and hold. That has implications on valuation big time, right? And so we are actively looking to bring aboard high quality institutions that are going to buy and hold for the long run. But that's going to take some time to get that stability of investor base. And I think that's definitely weighing on, on valuation as well. And your job, hence, is very, very important to the company. Alexis Kahan, thank you so much for being on our channel today. And I hope you guys took a ton out of this. I really wanted to go directly to the source instead of just searching on Google for news pieces and opinions. Yes, we are aware that this could be biased. Of course, Alexis is very <laughs> passionate about the company, but it was really, really helpful for me, at least, that to know what the management has been, how the management has changed and how the focus has changed. And that definitely is going to make an impact in my investment strategy for overstock.com OSTK ticker. Again, thank you so much, Alexis, for taking your time. And you guys watching from home, let us know what you think about overstock.com in the comments. Are you going to be investing in overstock? Are you going to be selling overstock? I would love to hear your opinion, or actually I would love to know if you're going to be shopping at overstock. So that is going to be very interesting to know. I would love to hear your comments. And of course, if you want more timely interviews with heads of amazing companies, make sure to hit that subscribe button. So we have this uh, ritual in our uh, show. We ask our guests to <laughs> make a silly face. And I was wondering if as the investor relations of overstock.com, you would enlighten us with a silly face. Absolutely, Kiana. I'd be honored. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. That is so good. Thank you. <laughs>